speak right into there, real close to Today's readings are Psalm 23 and 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. <clears throat> they can be found on pages 510 and 1125 of the Bible's next year seats as well as on the screen. This is God's word. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. First Peter chapter 4, 10 and 11. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If you speak, you should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If you serve, you should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Our God of grace, as we listen to words... Um, and, and consider what they might say to our world and to our lives and to our church community. We pray that you would speak to all the different places from which we come this morning. As we come and sit down into these chairs, into a space that is rented and used for all kinds of things throughout the week, we come have, and bringing all kinds of different things from our worlds and our stories and our lives. Some of us come um, with grief or loss or pain that is... Um, coming to the surface again today as we sit here. Others of us come and, and prayers have been answered and we're thankful or grateful for how life has gone. Others of us come with doubts and questions. We wonder if we even really belong in a place like this. And some of us come, you know, we've never been more sure of what we believe or of, of how much you love us. In all these places, um, the truth is we're all universally in the same boat as we sit before you and as we consider your, your goodness and your love. We're more of a mess than we care to admit. In the story of grace that we look at every week in Scripture, the, the major theme is that we are, yes, we are more of a mess than we care to admit, but in Christ and in what you have done through Christ, we are more loved and accepted than we ever imagined. And that those two things would both be true in our lives. And if they would be, oh, how different we would view life. Oh, how powerful your love would go with us if we could hold those things together constantly at the same time. And so now help that to happen. Help your grace to come through these humble words that we might know you better and taste your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been focusing for um, a couple of weeks. We've we're on the third week of a, sort of a vision emphasis. The, the place we're going the, as a church, the place we're setting our sights, is an increasingly diverse community of people who are desiring their own spiritual formation because they see 
gospel credibility in the lives and community of City Life Church. And we is focusing on um, extending the heart of Jesus to one person at a time. We had a big emphasis. We talked a lot about it. We did a lot of things. We had prayers. Now we're moving in. We're third week into a second emphasis that's moving us towards that vision. And this emphasis is finding your place. And the first week was finding it outward, kind of where are you stationed in life? What's your arena where God has placed you? The second week was inward. And so we talked about, hey, we all got an iceberg in our lives. And are you ready to plunge in and and see how big it is under the surface? Are you ready to do that inner work to kind of gauge where am I? Because we're finding our place. And this third week is an upward focus. So it went outward, inward, and now upward. So the idea is, um, how can we keep our, on our mind and in our hearts and in our daily activities, how can we have a mind for some of the big truths that we say we hang on to as a Christian? I, another way to put it is this, how can I have a God-saturated outlook as I go about my life? That's what we're trying to figure out. And um, there's, so some of the, the question of the week went like this, because it's going to take, in order to have that God-saturated outlook, it's going to take intentionality. You're going to have to do some things on purpose, is my sense. So we ha- asked this question last week, what's something you do on purpose? And we got all these different answers from you guys. I sing in the car. Not sure why that's done on purpose, but that's... I sing in the car. Someone else says, I call my mother. Um, I wake up at 4 a.m. and go to the gym. I let the dog out to poop and pee. I push my husband's buttons, someone else says. (laughs) On purpose. I try to see the world with other people's eyes. And then a different kind of answer from the, the spouse one before. I look for things to appreciate about my husband. <laughs> That's somebody else's answer. And someone else says, I practice contemplative prayer. And so the truth is, if, if, if we're going to have some kind of God-saturated outlook, it is going to take intentionality. It's gonna have to, it doesn't just happen naturally because everything else kind of grabs our attention. Everything else tells us how to think and teaches us how to think. It's going to take some intentionality. I love this, this quote uh, by Henry Nouwen. He's, he writes this book called Life of the Beloved, Spiritual Living in a Secular World. And he's, he's a Catholic priest, and he writes this book specifically to, voiced to a friend of his who, who doesn't seem to quite fully be a Christian, but he's trying to help this guy understand in today's modern world, of course, this is decades ago, but in the modern world today, how, you know, how to grab hold of the identity of being God's beloved, this deep, deep truth. So, So listen to this uh, somewhat long quote. He says, you have to, he's saying, I know about your life. He says, you have to keep working to earn enough for your rent and your food. You have thousands of little things to do from making phone calls to writing letters, buying and cooking food, staying in touch with family and friends and remaining informed about what happens in your city, your country, and your world. All of that seems quite a lot for one person, and it's usually these very simple, concrete things of daily living that provide the raw materials for our conversations. The question, how are you doing, usually leads to very down-to-earth stories about marriage, family, health, work, money, friends, and plans for the immediate future. It seldom, however, it seldom leads to deep thoughts about our origin and the goal of our existence. 
He says, still, I am surely convinced that the origin and goal of our existence have everything to do with the ways we think, talk, and act in our daily lives. And then listen to this. So this is kind of the in, in bold part. When our deepest truth is that we are the beloved and our greatest joy and peace comes from fully claiming that truth, it follows that this has to become visible and tangible in the ways we eat and drink, talk and love, play and work. When the deepest currents of our life no longer have any influence on the the waves at the surface, then our vitality will eventually ebb. And we will end up listless and bored, even when we are busy. Now, I don't know if... I read that whole quote because, because I thought, I am tracking with what he is saying in everyday life. And I hope you are a little bit too. So the gift to us this morning is this ancient psalm. It's probably the most well-known piece of scripture still today, if there is such a thing. Psalm 23. And it's basically a prayer that teaches us and gives us a picture of someone, and it might become us as well, someone who has a God-saturated view about the, the happenings in life. So let's just, let's just move through a couple parts of it briefly And then um, I'll close in prayer. So starting with this, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Or the, the version I grew up hearing, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's very convicting immediately and says something to us right away because we're walking around in actually one of the most privileged societies of, of the entire history of this world. And yet, Let's be honest, we're walking around going, you know, this says, I lack nothing. And we're walking around going, I lack things. You know, I lack something. I'm wanting something. My life's not complete. My happiness isn't yet achieved if only I had, you know, this or that. It's actually pretty convicting to have this opening statement. It it gives us a sense right away that, okay, we we need to hear what's going on in this psalm, in this prayer. Because the... The view of God, entering into this analogy, it's a very old analogy of shepherd. God is a shepherd. View, entering into that is going to mean something right away. You lack nothing. The way that a sheep, when in the tender, good care of a solid shepherd, lacks nothing. Everything is handled. Everything that's essential for life is handled. And we're just like those sheep that we see, you know, greener pastures and we think we don't have enough. So we just start with that, but then as you move through this psalm, it moves on to saying, um, he, he um, makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. This is the work of the shepherd, God, in our life. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. So right, let me pull three things out of that. Green pastures, quiet waters, and right paths. Real sheep, if you read about them or know about what sheep are like, if left unshepherded, what they do is they destroy their green pastures, they pollute their still waters, and they get stuck in ruts, so much so that they can end up dying. So, so you know, green pastures, still waters, right paths, I got news, friends. It's not flattering, but we, we're the sheep. We make a mess 
of our environments, our relationships. We pollute the very things that bring us life. And we get stuck in ruts, right? And part of what this psalm is helping us, and I mean, it's a timeless thing that it's, it's moving us towards, is can you stop fooling yourself with the myth of independence? That's the invitation of this psalm. That's the God-saturated view that actually what you need most is trusting in God's handling. One of my favorite authors on the theme of shepherds and sheep in the Bible is a guy named Philip Keller who's written several books related, relating his work as a shepherd in real life and then he also ended up becoming a minister. So he, he kind of theologizes the real work he did as a shepherd and helps us understand the Bible better. He says this about real um, flocks of sheep under the care of a shepherd. Those sheep which remain in the shepherd's personal care are the ones which derive and draw their very life from his provision and possession of them. This quote is also in your worship guide. They have at their disposal all the resources of his ranch. They thrive under the expertise of his skilled management. Is that happening with you, with God right now? Thrive under his skilled expertise and management. They enjoy the eternal vigilance and loving protection of his care. Under his hand they flourish because they are handled with affection by one who is tremendously fond of them. So, the myth of, you know, the myth of independence and God's complete handling and provision of our lives. But this, and then this other line, which is one of the most famous lines of the psalm, and it's the one that is um, especially powerful and meaningful um, that you'll hear read often at graveside services or funerals. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The version I, I heard when I was younger was, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And what I want to say about that is, is that our greatest tests, when we're trying to live a life of faith and trusting in the Good Shepherd, our greatest tests of that faith are the times when we're confronted with Loss, pain, depression, when, we, when our plans aren't panning out, when we're hitting roadblocks, or when life surprises us. That's when our faith is tested, when we're going through our valleys. Now our culture, the culture around us and the voices that we have around us tell us there's a tragedy in your life, there's a loss in your life, you've hit a roadblock or a dead end, well... Somewhere you failed, somewhere you didn't line things up correctly, or the universe is, is giving you some kind of karma in return for what you haven't done, or your belief, belief system has failed you because you're walking through a dark valley. And yet young Christians, if they hang around a church and if they put themselves into contexts where there's older Christians who are maybe middle-aged or retired and have walked this journey for a while, younger Christians start to pick up on something very countercultural, And they begin to get this firm sense. If you do this, you get this firm sense, wait a minute, God seems, if I listen to the lives and journeys of these people, God seems to meet people the most 
in their dark valleys. Huh. And if you begin to learn that lesson, you realize also it's, it's in Psalm 23 and it's all throughout the Bible. You begin to shape an outlook and even looking to your future with a new way of thinking. A sense in which, you know, God is watching over and saying, I know the season's coming up for you. I know what you're going to need. I know the green pastures you need. I know the dark valleys that I'm going to need to guide you through. And you're going to need to feel the touch of my staff. And you're going to need to know the club I carry to throw at the coyotes and lions. That's what the, the rod and the staff, the staff is kind of nudge along and the rod is this club that, to be thrown at wild animals. And you're going to need to go through these times where you experience my love in that way. God's watching over the whole journey, loves me deeply, and knows what I most need. There's a, a catechism I, I learned growing up, and it has this powerful line right towards the beginning about God. It's, it goes like this. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. God knows what we need. You know, um, this is the time of the year where my apricot tree in my backyard is blossoming like crazy. In fact, it's already almost done blossoming. And it, was perfect. it perfectly lined up with those three days of sunshine last week. And so the bees came out and they were you know, doing their work. It was, it was amazing. One of the things about having this tree, I've had to learn how to prune and read books on how do you prune a tree. Um, and you learn that you know, every year I have this experience. I, I, I'm cutting these things. I'm cutting all this... These, kind of these big branches off and this healthy growth and I'm cutting it off and it always kind of feels a little unnerving and then I look at the ground and there's just piles. It's actually a second job of itself, I've learned, of just dealing with all the cuttings and getting them somewhere, disposing of them. And then, you know, a few months later in the spring and in the summer, then you start to see, no, that wasn't crazy. That wasn't, you know, that pruning... And the pruning analogy is often similar to the shepherding analogy. Pruning in the Bible gets at this issue of making these cuts, these painful cuts that hurt with the next season's growth and fruit in mind. Is that true in your life with God? There's painful things that we go through and it doesn't make any sense. And a Christian that has a really solid theology about God's like very present involvement in our world, rightfully kind of shakes a finger up and says, what are you doing? This hurts. And and puts a little bit of that credit on God because this pruning and shepherding analogy is there for us. And one year, um, there was, the tree was so diseased in my backyard that I got tired of it having less and less fruit each year. And I did an extreme cut. It was just kind of a guess, but I did an extreme pruning and pruned it way down. And I thought maybe I'm killing it. And then sure enough in the summer, it comes alive like it hasn't in any of the five years before. Now, I was just guessing, but God knows you and me and knows our stories and knows the fruit he has in mind a year or two out because of what he's doing today. Now, lastly, we want to look at how this psalm ends, this prayer ends, and it switches analogies. It starts as a shepherding psalm, and then it switches to this kind of uh, a royal banquet thing where there's a table And there's food and there's an anointing of a royal figure. It changes. It goes like this. Um, You prepare... See, I lost my place, but this this is one of the few things in Scripture I have memorized. You prepare 
a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The picture is of abundance. The picture is of as we live and we are surrounded by people living in our kind of our default drive, which is scarcity. You know, I don't have enough, I need more. And we walk around trying to fill our lives and fill holes in our lives with things that actually don't satisfy. And this psalm and this prayer cries out to you to have a God-saturated view of things. Picture yourself at a banquet and you have all you need. In fact, you have more than you need. In fact, you've been given this kind of royal identity. Well, how does that all happen? Well, the Christian every day is trying to remember this abundance and remember why it happened. It happens for the Christian because Jesus has accomplished a sort of Royal abundance for you. Your identity has shifted to one who is not just a child of God, but even the Bible says that we're, we're heirs to the throne. We're, there's this sort of really rich kind of lifting us up in terms of our identity as image bearers of God and as, as kind of being princes and princesses in God's royal house. We're anointed. Our cups overflow. The satisfying abundance that when Christ Jesus came to earth and took my place so that I'm guaranteed his place in God's house, the Christian tries to remember that every day. Tries to remember that God, through Jesus, became despised and rejected so that I could become loved and accepted. And this satisfying abundance, if you can hang on to it, if you can saturate your mind and heart with it, flows out into everything you do. Flows out, changes everything about your life, how you live, how you approach things. It's kind of like if you use a financial analogy, it's kind of like someone deposited $100 million in your bank account. You know, and, and the way you would now face financial challenges is, is kind of similar to how now you face life challenges as a Christian with this amazing abundance. You know, if, if someone deposits $100 million into your account and then you find out the next week that you, all your kids need braces, you know, I have four kids, so I just took them to the orthodontist, you know, you, find, you, know, you, you face that differently if you know, well, hey, I'm, hey, put on the braces, let's go, let's do it. You know, your, your car gets smashed, you know, your wallet gets stolen, you're, you get robbed, you know, you, you know, a tree falls on your house in a storm, uh, any number, you know, your, your kids don't get any scholarships for college and you got, you know, you're going to pay for it. You, be, you just say, yeah, cool. You know, your head's up high, your squared shoulders. That's the picture. That's the quiet confidence of the gospel in your life. That's a God-saturated view as things are going on in your life, good and bad. You know, the good stuff, you don't get too crazy riled up because of the treasure you already have in your heart. The bad stuff, you don't get too crazy riled up because of the good, solid grace of God that you have poured into you, satisfying you all the time. That's what the Christian, that's the, the grounding in quiet confidence that you need each day. You know, this morning we had our prayer meeting at, at 9.30 and we talked for a couple minutes and then we started praying for, for things that are going on in people's lives and in this church and for this morning. And the, the topic came up of, of prayer practices and the incredible power of some of these prayer practices that um, that some of us have begun to incorporate in different amounts and frequencies and different kinds of prayer practices on a daily basis. And basically the discussion was about the more that these practices are there, the more that this kind of meditating on the truths of God, morning and night, the more that they're bookending your day, the more that this starts to happen. 
this God-saturated view of everything that's happening. And I think that's, if I'm going to give you one nugget of like what to do on purpose, is to, to explore, ask me questions or explore on your own. Dive into prayer practices. Communicate with God. And begin to saturate your view of life with what's already true about you through Jesus. This is what St. Anselm said. There is a groundedness to my existence now, and it is prayer. Let us pray. Our great God, you are so gracious and good. You are a shepherd watching over us, and you are the host of a banquet, inviting us to take our seat and enjoy the fullness of what's given. We pray that you would um, work against all our defenses as we, try to, um, as we constantly try to against, fight against that truth about you. And it is so difficult to wrap our minds around it. Work against our defenses from the outside and by your Holy Spirit from within that we might know how much we are loved and may, um, our lives may be saturated more and more with an outlook uh, of what you have done and what you are doing in this world. In Christ's name we pray, amen.